How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, starting a new study. We're, we're uh, picking up in 1 Thessalonians. So if you could please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And again, we're going to be using the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study, which are interpretation, application, and demonstration. That's the what, the how, and the why. What it's specifically saying, the narrative of the text, and then we back up, go again through it slowly, take a look at the how. How is it being said? The specific words and the pictures and the images and also the word studies it is uh, how, how are the... Uh, how is it coming across? How is it being said? So we want to understand the exact meanings of these things. And how else can I pair what I'm reading with the rest of the Word of God? And then finally, the why demonstration is to, why is it important to go live it, speak it, think it, do it. That's personal application, applying it to ourselves to demonstrate our faith, to demonstrate the Word of God. So we get a, an idea of what is going on, the narrative of the text. Well, uh, we get an idea of the scenario and the people and all this stuff and then the specific details of all this so using the three points of the christian faith we then dive into the clear interprets the unclear the other aspect of studying the word of god the clear interprets the unclear what it flat out says clearly and and uh, we use this to help us to understand other aspects of the word of god that may be a bit difficult at the time or we're not sure exactly what's going on because uh, we can understand what it is saying but understand what it's not saying like we always uh, uh, pick on the misunderstanding uh, of james chapter 2 faith that works is dead that's not a salvationary passage because we know this because of what it says over here in ephesians and titus and and uh, all the rest of it so good morning good morning how's it going hey good morning thanks so much for joining in so we're going to be starting a new study today. I know I said that uh, we'd be picking up the Gospel of John. We are going to be doing that, but uh, I realized we haven't really gone through the T's in a while, in a very, very long time, Thessalonians and Timothy and, and such. So we're going to be doing that before we hit back uh, at the, the Gospels and going through John again. So I want to work through Thessalonians and then Timothy, and then we can go back and uh, pick up on the gospel of john so i hope you don't mind i'm sure you don't but anyways uh so if you grab your bibles notepads and pens turn with me to first thessalonians and grab your tea grab your coffee grab your snacks whatever it is you're having come join us at the table and uh again if you have any comments questions issues insights regarding the study at hand please by all means Go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. If it's not related to the topic at hand, if you just hold that to the end of the study or to our next broadcast. Because, as usual, we want to try to limit our rabbit trailing. We certainly can't stop our rabbit trailing, but we can try to limit it as best we can. So, with that said, time to study the Word of God. Okay. So we see here <clears throat> the first epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Thessalonians, to the church of Thessalonica, 
and we see we're going to be seeing here what uh, Paul has to say for them. Some churches, it's a bit of a uh, rake over the coals. Like you take a look at uh, the Church of Corinth, and some others, like you look at Galatians, where in uh, Corinth they got caught up all kinds of sin and all kinds of nonsense and garbage that were coming in, and Paul had to correct them and uh, show them uh, the right ways of the Lord. Then we see the Church of Galatia where they had gotten deceived by the Judaizers uh, who were following him and trying to pull everybody back into law-keeping to abandon uh, the full meaning of grace and all this. So there's a lot of things that Paul uh, is trying to do, trying to help the churches. And uh, different letters or different reasons. Now we're going to be taking a look at Paul's letter to the church of Thessalonica. So this is going to be interesting to see what he has to say. But uh, from what we can gather here uh, from the first chapter, it seems pretty good so far. As uh, he's talking about how their, their, their staunch standing for the Lord and their works for the Lord. And we're going to be talking all about this in a bit. So let's get going. <clears throat> so 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which, deliver, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Okay, so it's only ten verses. Only ten verses, but we see here and much to unpack. We're going to be working our way down through this slowly, taking a look at some of these things point by point. And again, if you have anything you'd like to comment on, something that stands out to you, an idea, a thought, something you'd like to discuss, go ahead, ask away. All right, so we got a comment here, though. Someone says, I can't get it to load. Is anyone else having any issues here? Anyone else having any issues? Shows green across the board on my side. Everything's fine. Everyone says all good. Okay. All right. Okay, let's keep going. Well, let's just pray that I have no technical issues. Our Lord, we do thank you for this day, this time, and Lord, for the power of your word and the truths of your word. I pray, Lord, you please bless this and bless this study. And Lord, you keep away all opposition and hindrances, that Lord, all the feed would work and Lord, it'd be a blessing to the hearers and that Lord, you would unpack your word for us, help us to understand it. Bless this day, O Lord, we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Okay, so First Thessalonians, let's back up to uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. The church. Now, we know that the church is not the building. We know the church is not the building. The church is not the traditions. The church is not about what we have uh, created around the faith. We know that the church is the people, the born-again Christians, the disciples, the followers, the believers of the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace through faith, by belief alone. It says here that um, the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not under any man. It's not under Peter. It's not under a pope. It's not under a bishop. And we're going to take a look at this. Now, there's many out there that call themselves the true church. And every cult under the sun that, that even remotely calls themselves Christian says that they, they go all the way back to Jesus and all the rest. Well, how do we know if they do or don't? How can we know? Well, we know this not by what they say, what they hold, what they teach, what they believe, but we know this by what the Bible flat out says. It's not about the traditions and the creeds and the catechisms and the commentaries or anything else. It's not about anything else. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ according to Scripture. It's not about Mary and popes and, and uh, so-called modern apostles. It's not about any of this stuff. It's not about the, the length of time that an, an established system has been on the earth. It's about what the Lord says in His Word alone. The Lord says in His Word alone now the catholics claim to be the true church they claim to go all the way back to jesus the orthodox claim to be the true church and they claim to go all the way back to jesus well they don't actually they only go back to 1054 or is it 1056 i think it's 1054 in the year 1054 it was called the great schism is when the orthodox denomination was established they don't even go back to jesus they go back to 1054 and they they're at nothing but catholic light as you can see by this crazy picture here of uh, the catholic pope and the orthodox pope or patriarch or whatever he wants to call himself all dressed up like crazy now they claim to be the only true church founded by jesus christ well what is the true church well see the true church is not a system of traditions it's not a system of ordinances in these things, but rather it's it's a giving of doctrine, beliefs from the Jesus Christ himself. As we see, we see this is what Jesus handed down to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. And we take a look at the gospel of Jesus Christ according to scripture. And then we take a look at the gospel that is preached by the Catholics, the gospel that is preached by the Orthodox, the gospel that is preached by the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and Seventh-day Adventists, and the Mennonites, and the Amish, and all the rest of them. Uh, what is the gospel that is preached by them? And if we take a look at them, they're all gospels of works, where they rid grace and replace it with works and law and all this because they don't believe that uh, 
that, that uh, the gospels seal you because you could lose your salvation. They also corrupt it with water baptism and worship of Mary and self, self-indulgence and, and atonement for sins and all the rest of it. All kinds of other nonsense. They do not teach the gospel that is according to the word of God. We see grace is the unmerited favor of God. Faith is believing trust. Faith is not works. Faith is not faithfulness. Faith is believing trust. So by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. And as Jesus said to the Pharisees, you teach for doctrines, the traditions of men. But we see here that as Paul says in verse 1 of Thessalonians 1, the church which is in God the church which is in God, in Christ Jesus, not as the Catholics, the Marianites, as they're also called, that there is an actually a term out there called Marianites, because they are worshippers of Mary, they're followers of Mary, they are goddess worshippers, they are not worshippers of Jesus Christ. They limit Christ, and they corrupt Christ, and they corrupt his work, and they put Mary uh, over him, they're calling her the grand redemptress, and all the rest of that. Heresy, blasphemy. The Orthodox Church which claims to follow Jesus and very staunchly. They claim to hold the traditions of the apostles and all this, but do they? But when you take a look at what they're about and what they're teaching and what they're handing down, yes, they're very, very fervent, devoted, false gospel of worshipers. They follow the, their system of their traditions and they don't believe the Bible absolutely. As we see is the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church both absolutely deny sola scriptura they absolutely emphatically deny that the word of god is the final absolute authority in all aspects of faith and practice of faith they absolutely emphatically deny that salvation is permanent that you have to work at maintaining to keep because you could lose it so they are not founded by Christ, they are not the church under God because they actually contradict God's word. How could a church, a so-called church, be the church of Jesus Christ if they are contradicting the word of God at point after point after point after point after point? How can they? How can they be called disciples of Christ if the Christ they follow is not the Christ of the Bible? How can they be the church of God if the very gospel of salvation that they preach is corrupted and denies the very grace that the word of God flat out teaches? You have to ask yourself that question. And so we take a look at, at, the, at the facts of the matter and we take a look at the word of God, what it flat out says, and we see what does scripture say. We're going to be taking a little bit more at what scripture says. So these individuals, and I did a, a video a little while ago where I actually uh, reacted to a video of an Orthodox priest talking about the authority of Scripture and all this, and how he was, how he, this Orthodox priest, was full on mocking the born again Christians that believe the Bible is the absolute authority and believe in sola scriptura. As he was he was upholding the the orthodox traditions and all this stuff as equal to or surpassing the authority of scripture but we take a look as he he's talking about the church of thessalonica and all this and the traditions and stuff that going all the way back to paul the apostle they even have apparently the very chair that paul sat in that he when is he gave the the gospel and the scriptures to, to the thessalonians 
and how they follow all the traditions and all this stuff. Really? Well, I guess this Orthodox priest hadn't hadn't read the other passage of Scripture in Acts 17, verse 11, that says the Bereans, which were more noble, <laughs> more noble than those in Thessalonica, because they held to the Scriptures. They received the scriptures already of mine, and they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. That they didn't follow tradition, they followed the word of God as the final authority. You see? Ugh. Already getting worked up. But we take a look at this, that yes, the church of Thessalonica what is, is very emphatic and, and very sound and very devoted and all the rest of this. And how they're praised by Paul. But we see it's not about the about even the people. It's about the person of Jesus Christ, what Christ has for us, what he told us. God said his word is above his very name, not church tradition. His word is above his very name, not church traditions and denominations. That his word is established forever. Though kingdoms rise and fall, his word stands forever. And how he holds his word, how he, uh, he protects his word, uh, and how, how it's, it's preserved unto all generations. It'll always be here. But we see traditions fade away. We see, uh, we see the empires rise and fall. We see societies rise and fall. Opinions and books and writings of other men fade away into oblivion. But the word of God stands forever. How can we uphold tradition and denomination, uphold the stained glass and the buildings and all these things as high importance? The moment we start focusing on the physical, we fail to see the power of the spiritual. It's not about the traditions. It's not about the words of men, the opinions of men. So let's continue. The church, which is, which is in, look at the words, which is in god the father and in the lord jesus christ not in tradition not in man not in pope and priest and king not in any other thing but the lord jesus christ amen all god's people say amen all right let's keep going okay uh one more time paul and sylvanus and timotheus unto the church of the thessalonians which is in god the father and in the lord jesus christ okay so we see here as well the authority of paul the authority of Paul. Who is Paul? Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ, established as an apostle by Jesus Christ, set up by Jesus Christ, given authority by Jesus Christ. And, and so we see uh, he was accepted into the apostleship in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit spoke to the others and told them to accept Paul into the apostleship. So he is an established and appointed apostle, authority, leader of the faith, leader of the church by Jesus Christ himself. Okay, so he, he so this, these are the words spoken by him by direct inspiration by the Spirit of the living God. As the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ speaking uh, through through them, tells him what to say, tells him what to write. And it's preserved by God unto all generations. So Paul the Apostle and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of Thessalonians, which is in. So if you're into underlining, highlighting, or marking your Bible, if you could do so with the word in. It's very important we take a look at this, which is in God, the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Underline, highlight, mark, in. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We see blessing to the church, blessing them. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, 
making mention of you in our prayers. So praising the Lord and thanking the Lord for this church. So thanking the Lord for this church be, because of what this church has given themselves to and what they are known for and what they persevere in. And we're going to look into this. What is the church of Thessalonians known for? What are they known for? We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Okay, so what we want here is verse 3. All right, work of faith and labor of love. Now, what is this? All right, so now we're going to be flipping over to Hebrews. So hold your finger here, put your bookmark in here, and let's go over to Hebrews. And what we want is Hebrews chapter 6, and starting at verse 9. All right, so we want uh, Hebrews chapter 6, from going from verse 9 to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> okay, so the what we want to keep in mind here is in Thessalonians, the remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Okay, we see a corresponding passage, so you can actually write in the reference here to, to correspond with these. Hebrews 6, starting at verse 9. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that... What? All right, so we're going to see here who's actually paying attention. If you could write in the comments in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, it says here, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that what? Things that what? We are persuaded better things of you and things that... What are the two words? What are the two words? We're going to take a look at this for a few minutes. All right, so it says in verse 9, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. Things that accompany salvation. So what does that mean, accompany? To go with, goes with. I said, does that mean that these things are are necessary for salvation? No. Are these things that are requirements for salvation? No. Are these things that 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 uh, that uh, salvation? It, it that uh, if these things are not shown, that you don't have salvation? No. What does this mean? Well, we take a look at this. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. What this means is, once you are born again, saved, these things will happen. These things will be known. These things will be shown. These things are evidences. 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 What are some of the evidences, the things that accompany salvation, that occur after you're born again, after you're born again saved, after you believe on the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, by belief alone, you're born again, saved, indwelt, sealed by the Spirit of God, forgiven of all your sins, washed clean, made new, regenerated, redeemed, name written in the Lamb's book of life, by grace, through faith, by belief alone, period. But once this happens, something happens 
to you. Something happens to you. We see the spirit of the living God, the spirit of Jesus Christ, indwells the heart of every believer. Ephesians 3.17, he changes you. He gives you a new heart, new mind, new purpose, new life. And he, he unlocks to you the scriptures to your mind he gives you the understanding he teaches you all things causes you to be in remembrance of everything teaches you how to pray and as well we see out of you will flow the springs of living water the good works and the deeds which are a byproduct byproduct of salvation that's what it means by accompany salvation all right so verse 10 Hebrews 6 verse 10 for god is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. There we see the same language in Thessalonians. For, uh, uh, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. So out of you will flow the works and the love, the labor of love of the born-again Christian faith. What the, this is the carrying out of. Okay, so we see here there is uh, the difference between faith and religion. So we see faith is believing trust. As it says in Hebrews, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's not works, it's believing trust. All right, so, so we see then religion. Religion is the physical carryings out of one's belief of faith. That's just what religion is. So you can see how it absolutely annoys me to absolutely no end when I hear people say, 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 say how it's not about religion. We're not religious. It, it's about, it's not about religion. It's about faith, not about religion. It's about a relationship. These people don't really understand what the word religion means. That yes, salvation is not about religion. But we see the religion that follows is the physical carryings out of one's belief of faith. This is the, 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 the work of faith and labor of love. This is the charity and the good works. This is the, the going and fellowshipping with the saints and the worship of Christ, the witnessing and evangelism and, and, and living the life of Christ's likeness and holiness to draw all others to you, as it says in 1 Peter 3.15. But uh, sanctify the Lord God always in your heart and be ready always to give an answer. And then it talks about James, pure religion undefiled is this. The key is undefiled. Pure religion undefiled. Undefiled religion is biblical religion of the works of Christ, of Christ's likeness, not man's traditions. So we see then God's traditions, not man's traditions. It's not about the the fancy priestly robes and the flea collars. It's not about these kinds of things. It's not about the censers and the candlesticks and the stained glass and the pews and all the crazy gold and the stupid miters and all the rest of the nonsense of these religious clowns. Like we see these guys. I call them religious clowns. That uh, in every belief system, in every religion, there are the clowns. And these are the clowns of their religion. Anyways, what, but what I said there is literally no different than Elijah talking to the prophets of Baal. These guys are pro prophets of a false gospel. So, Anyways, we see, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. So we see labor of love, not labor of law. Okay, it's labor of love, not labor of law. 
because we're no longer under the law, we're under grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It is undeserved mercy. And we see that we're, we're taken from the condemnation of the law because if there had been a law which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But it's not. It's by grace. It's not by law. We're no longer under law. We're under grace. And it's not by works. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, and not by the deeds of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we see that it's the labor of love. As Jesus says, says about this, he talked about this, about the love of the Lord. As he, he was even asked by, by the Pharisees and them, what is the first and greatest commandment with promise? That is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So we see love is the key here. And we see uh, because I love him, I do this. Not because I have to, because I want to. This is immensely different. Immensely different. So we see the Thessalonians were known for this. And we go back at, when we go back to Thessalonians, we'll see more of this. How this is what they were known for. Their labor of love. Their working of the faith. Now the Bible talks about to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. And that really ties people up and really confuses people because they thought that salvation was by grace through faith. But now why does it say to work out your salvation? What does that mean? That. That. Carry out. Work out. To enact in everything that you do. The, the, the labor of love. That's what that means. You are born again, saved now, show it. Uh, uh, do the works of an evangelist. The, the labor of love, that's what that means, to work out your salvation. Carry it out now. Enact it in all that you do. Show others about this. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart in all things. That's what that means. It's not a salvationary passage. It's a passage of discipleship. You're now born again, saved. you got a job to do. That we're not just sideliners. It, it, that some people, though, and we talked about this in a number of videos we had prior, about how so many professed Christians are so content with just getting the golden ticket. That they're born again saved, and that's all they need, that's all they want to do, that's how, that's how far they want. And they don't really do much else for the Lord. Well, maybe on a blue moon. They might make it known to certain individuals that they're Christian and why and all this. But we see we have a job to do. We have a work to do. The election of God. That God has elected us to do the works of Christ. We are, we, that This is what is predestined. That God is set in order. We are ordained to do the works of Christ. To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is what we're here to do. That's what this is all about. This is what the Thessalonians were well known for. This is what Paul is praising them for. Okay, let's continue. Verse 10. For God is not, is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Look at this. And we desire... That every one of you, this is Hebrews uh, chapter 6, verse 11. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence. 
as the Thessalonians, as the Bereans, as those. And Paul says, be followers of me as I'm a, uh, as I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So we see here that we have a job to do, a work to do, that, that uh, this, this is the spirit of the living God. Almighty Sovereign Lord Jesus Christ is speaking through the mouth of Paul right here in, in Hebrews 6.11 and says that, that I desire that every one of you do show the same diligence. The calling and election of God. What is the calling and election of God? To do the works of grace. Who, who are those that are called to do that? Those that believe on his name. And when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're elected into the family to do the works of Christ. You are, you, this, is, this is the system that God has set down, God's traditions of God's works of righteousness and holiness and all Christ-likeness. To show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. All right, question. Now, as you see, as we've been talking here about salvation by grace through faith by belief, and that it's not about law, it's not about mandatory requirements, but it's about the desire, the desire, the longing that comes that, 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 of surrendering to the Spirit of Christ within us to do the works of Christ, to, to, to show the diligence of Christ-likeness and holiness in all things. And with this, we see the full assurance of hope. All right. Question. Question. Those that are, those that are under a works-based system, where they feel that it's a mandatory requirement that they have to keep the law, they have to do the works, and if you don't, then you're not saved, or you can lose salvation, or some other means, or we're bound, we have to keep the law, or some other thing like this. Do those individuals that are under the works-based systems, do they have full assurance of the hope? Do they have the full assurance of hope? Those that bind themselves to law, bind themselves to works, and make works and law an actual aspect and product of salvation uh, as a salvationary aspect. Um, like they, those that follow the, the corrupted, twisted view of twisting James chapter 2 that they have to maintain works or they're not saved. No, you're right. You're right. They have no assurance. They have no assurance. But as you see here, and as uh, Sonny here says, no, because they're partly relying on themselves. That's right. And uh, Evelyn says, no. And Melissa says, no. That You're right. Absolutely right. So we see here in Hebrews 6, verse 11, the same diligence. Uh, diligence to what? Diligence to what? Look at this. Look at this. In Hebrews 6, 11, they do show the same diligence to, diligence to the full assurance Not diligence to law. Not diligence to works. Diligence to the full assurance of hope. Diligence to the hope that we have absolute full assurance in. What is that? The gospel of Jesus Christ by grace through faith by belief alone not traditions and denominationalism and law keeping and and the works and and religiosity 
but rather diligence to the very gospel of salvation that we have believed in. That's what we are diligent to. Diligent to, to speak this, witness this, and carry this out, i.e., work out your salvation to carry it out and to do the works of an evangelist to help others to see and understand the full assurance of hope that is in the salvation by grace through faith but belief alone you see that do you see that hope you do now it says a diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end the end of what the end of the age end of time the end of your life and uh, till the lord calls you home till the lord says that's done the Lord says that's enough. So we see here as well in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11, about the full assurance of hope. This is a cross reference to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. So if you hold your finger there, hope you got lots of fingers today. So you see in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God. I've written these things to you, born-again Christians, for these two reasons. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. That ye may know that ye have eternal life. So we see here that Hebrews 6, verse 11 which I'm just realizing I forgot to write that reference in here, so I got to do that. That's uh, Hebrews 6, 11. There you go. Hebrews 6, 11 is cross-referenced with 1 John 5, 13, about the full assurance of hope that ye may know that ye have eternal life. This is what we're working out. This is what we're carrying out. This is what the whole... Our system, our traditions are about. Our traditions, our church tradition, our religious traditions is the very gospel of Jesus Christ and not the robes and the mitres and the, and the pompous arrogance of the crazy phylacteries and religiosity that you see in all the other systems. Our traditions that we carry out is not law-keeping and, and works-bearing, but rather the carrying out of the very gospel of Jesus Christ. We're diligent to carry out the gospel. Diligent to hold the gospel. You see that? Do you see that? It's not about popes and priests and kings. It's not about any other thing but the very gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's continue. Full assurance of hope unto the end that, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he had obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath of confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath god's oath god's promise god's work that he set he ordains he keeps and we have nothing to do with it other than to believe and it's an oath it's god's oath and from here we see again as we've talked about the very difference between contract and covenant all right 
If you're taking notes, I know I've said this before, I'm going to say it again because that's how you learn, is by repetition. There's a massive difference between contract and covenant. They are not interchangeable. You cannot mix the two together. You see, a contract is a promise between two people that you both agree to work together to produce the outcome. But a covenant is a promise of one, an oath of one, and you have nothing to do with it. That they promise, they, they make an oath that they will fulfill, they hold, they keep, they will do, and, and regardless of you. Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Not your blood, John 1, 13. Not by your blood, your will, your flesh, your power, but but of God. This is the oath, the promise of God. So you see this. God confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Our refuge, our hope that we hold to is the promise of God that God cannot lie. And he made an oath that he would keep it, he would hold it. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Christ is our anchor. The cable, that holy cable, which, which, which Christ has anchored our soul in him, cannot break. The anchor cannot break. The cable cannot break. It is the holy anchor and cable of, of God Almighty that is tied to and sealed on, that is caught upon our soul when we believed on him. And he will bring us up to him when it comes time for our body to die or time for him to come in the clouds and call us home. This is what it is. It is impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation, an assurance, a comfort con to console, to comfort. We find comfort, we find assurance in this. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which en entereth into that within the veil. We talked about the veil that was torn. So we see God's veil, not the, not, uh, 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 the veil of the temple that is in our hearts, not in uh, temples made by hands. There's a new veil. Um, where are we? But both sure and steadfast and which entereth into that within the veil. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so we see that the whole purpose, the point that uh, of our faith is to carry out the faith, the believing trust, that which we have believed and trusted in, the gospel of Jesus Christ, not church tradition, not men's traditions, not men's ideologies, not the popes and priests and kings and so-called prophets, so-called apostles, so-called denominational systems, not so-called catechisms, creeds and commentaries or any other thing, but the very gospel of Jesus Christ in and of itself, all alone, that's it, bang, done, period. That's what we follow. This, go back to Thessalonians, back to Thessalonians this is what the Thessalonians were known for 
This is what the Thessalonians uh, were well known for and what Paul was praising them for. Because they did not get tied up and corrupted in other things. They only solely focused on and held this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our steadfast hope. This is our tradition. This is what we are to be diligent in. And holding and reminding ourselves on as uh, the video of Alistair Begg preaching the gospel of Christ to ourselves regularly, preaching it unto others, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what it's about. And then we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, the work of faith, not work of law, not work of religiosity, the work of Faith. Faith is believing trust. Faith is not faithfulness. Faith is not works. So you see, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love, not labor of law. So you see, love comes out of a heart abundantly. It's a fervency and sincerity of a want to, not a have to. Okay? It's a want to, not a have to. And labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ as we wait patience patiently for that time that we get to go be with him. That's what that means there. That's what that means there. And patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. In the sight of God, not in the sight of men. Because it doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter what other churches think. It doesn't matter what other systems think. It doesn't matter what your neighbor thinks. It doesn't matter what all the peers and the opponents and the enemies and all the hounds of hell think. It doesn't matter. It matters what the Lord thinks. In the sight of God, not the sight of men. The reason we do this is not to impress men and not, not to impress God. We don't do these things to impress God. We can't impress him. We need to understand that. We can't impress him. The only thing that impresses him is the work of his own son, Jesus Christ, not our works. (laughs) It's what Christ has fulfilled. It's the hope of Christ that impresses him. We already have his whole favor because we have his son. This is what the Thessalonians understood. This is what they focused on. This is what they bound themselves to. They didn't get caught up in the traditions of man and the, 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 the works-based systems of the Judaizers and all the rest of that. They didn't create their, their own distinctive differences of religion. That They stripped themselves of all of that. And all that they cared about was the very gospel of grace by faith in the Lord God Jesus Christ. That's all they cared about. That's all they cared about. Impatience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Now let's just look at that just for a moment. I know some people are like, oh boy, here we go. You're right, here we go. Now, but, okay, now, now again, remember I talked about at the beginning of this video, the one system that we use in Bible study is the clear interprets the unclear, Okay. The clear interprets the unclear. So what the Bible flat out clearly says about something over here, we hold that. And any other thing we find kind of remotely similar, but 
we're unclear on exactly what it's saying, what it may seem to be saying, may seem to be contradictory or whatever else. We know what it's not saying because of what it is saying over here. So we take everything that we just talked about, about what we bind ourselves to, what we are to be diligent in, the whole purpose and the point of, of our faith, what this is all about, what we are set to do once we are in Christ. Okay, hold that. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and we want verse 10. Actually, what we want is verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace, unmerited favor, are ye saved, salvation, through faith, believing, trust, and that not of yourselves has nothing to do with you. John 1 13. It is the gift of God. It's a gift, not a reward. Not by works. Lest any man should boast, because it's the boast of Christ. For we, the born again saved, are his workmanship. He made us who we are. We don't make ourselves, right? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. So he so we are born again. Uh, you were born once of flesh, of water. You must be born of spirit. You must be born again. So we are given life. We are we are created in life and regeneration, redemption in Him. He made us, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works. See that? Now, what are the works? What shall we do that might work the works of God? This is the work of God. You believe on Him whom He hath sent. John six. So, so we are made. For this purpose here. He saved us for this purpose. This purpose. The works of Christ. The works of the gospel. Working out your salvation. Fear and trembling. All the rest of this. The point, the purpose, the diligence to do the works of Christ. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wheels are turning. Putting the pieces together. And suddenly you realize this is not talking about Calvinistic election and Calvinistic predestination. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has before ordained, elected this system, this tradition, this way, this life, this hope of Jesus Christ, of salvation. The Lamb that slain before the foundation of the world, the way of salvation that God has made and ordained and set and elected, the way of salvation. Where we carry out and, and, and maintain the due diligence of the hope. God has ordained... He has set a system, set a way, he has predestined a way of salvation, and that once we believe, we are born again saved. Hold. Romans 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, we're talking now about the foreknowledge of God, 
He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. See this? He predestinated to be conformed. The confirmation is what is predestined. The confirmation of the image of his son. The confirmation of the image of his son. That means ordained to do the works of Christ. You seeing this? You seeing this? Someone please tell me that this makes sense. You understand this. You're seeing this. Please tell me you're seeing this. Because this is what the whole purpose of the gospel is all about. He takes people who are dead in trespasses of sin, heirs of hell, enemies of God, lost in sin, condemned in sin, condemned by the law, that he offers them the free gift because he's not willing that any should perish. So he comes unto them and says, do you want to be saved? You say, yes, Lord. We are elected into the family of God, set as his dear children, and given a work to do. Given a work to do. And God asks that we be diligent. We be diligent in that, in the way that he has set for of salvation so that we can carry the message up because unto us is given the message of reconciliation. So God knows all things, sees all things, and he has this, this system, this tradition, his system, his church tradition. God's church tradition. Not man's church tradition. God's church tradition is the gospel and the gospel alone. The gospel and the gospel alone. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Okay. Okay. Now. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Now we understand what that is. And labor of love. Okay, now we understand this. And patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, in the sight of God and our Father. So it's all in the sight of the Lord. It has nothing to do with others. It's everything to do with Him. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election. Okay, what is it that we were elected to do? Now, here's a question. I'm just going to ask you folks a question, and I would like you to respond in the comments if you could, please. Everything that we just talked about. Okay? Everything we just talked about. That's right. Faith, hope, love. Amen. Everything that we just talked about. Are you... Then, as we looked at the verses, we looked at the passages, we saw what it says, are you then elect before you are born again saved? While you're an enemy of God, child of hell, condemned in sins, condemned by the law, uh, children of the devil, uh, under the wrath of God, about to suffer the, the, the vengeance and the judgment and the wrath of God, are you elect of God to do the works of Christ before you are born again saved? Or are you elect after you're born again saved? Because we see here in verse 4, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, knowing brethren, brethren, your election. 
brethren, your election. Because what did we see in Ephesians and Romans? What was elect? What was predestined? The way of Christ. The way of Christ. The way of Christ, which is what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Who are elect to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Those that believe. Those that are born again saved. You are not elect before salvation. Calvinism is seriously wrong. Seriously, seriously, seriously wrong with their false doctrine, false teaching of unconditional election. There you go. Okay. Because you are not elect of Christ to do the works of Christ before you're saved. That's just stupid. That's just nonsense. That makes literally no sense. How are you condemned in sin, dead to sin, enemy of God, under the wrath of God, the vengeance of God, under the condemnation of the law, a child of the devil, heir of hell? How are you in that state elect of God to do the works of Christ? You're not chosen, elected, predestined to do these things until after you're born again saved. He then hands you the work. He then hands you the, the, the kingdom. He hands you all things once you believe, not before. Not before. Okay? It's after, not before. There you go. All right, let's move on. Okay, so First Thessalonians chapter 1. Knowing, brethren... Beloved, your election of God. What is it that, that we are elected to do? Okay, verse 5. For our gospel, our gospel, came not unto you in word only, but also in power. Now here's something. Here's something. This is, uh, <laughs> man, we're just stepping in everything today. This is where the cessationists go wrong. Because we see, because as John MacArthur, for example, says that, uh, that it's just a knowledge war. It's just a knowledge war. But look at this in verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power. Where's the power? Where's the power of the gospel in your life? Where's the evidence? Where, where, where is the, the sight, the smell, the sound, the, 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 the power of prayer, the power of faith? Where's the answer of prayer? Where, where is the love of Christ? Where's the power of it? Is it just words to you? Is it just words to you? Is it just words on the page? Is it just the, the, the paper creeds? That is it just the old stuffy catechisms? What is it to you? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ to you? When you hear the gospel of Christ, does it stir you up? Does it give you the passion and the fire and the fervency to want to go out and, and, and pray for the lost souls and witness and evangelize and help the saints and encourage the saints and guide the lost to Christ? Where's the power? Where's the power? It, it, the, the gospel came not in just word only. It's not just words of the mouth, but there's something else with it that, that empowers you. There's a supernatural substance to it. Something that when, when the sound of the gospel goes out, the devils tremble and rage and fight and run. We see the, the heathens and the pagans start screaming. We see the world gets turned upside down. We see sinners become saints. We see the wicked, evil men and women become disciples of Jesus Christ. It changes hearts, changes souls, changes minds, it changes lives. 
There's a power to it. There's a power to it. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of Christ lives in the heart of every believer that God doesn't just, just say, okay, now that you're saved, okay, you go on off and uh, feed you to the wolves. You're all by yourself. No, He is with us in all things. He teaches us all things. He guides us in all things. He causes us to be in remembrance of all things. He opens the scriptures to us. He's the one that empowers us. He teaches us how to pray. He answers our prayers. He's the one that builds all things. He's the, he's the convictor. He's the one that rides upon the very words of the gospel and convicts the, the minds and the hearts and the ears of, of those that receive. We see in Mark 16, verse 20. And they went everywhere preaching the gospel, and the Lord worked with them, confirming the word and signs following. With signs following. We see, but in but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. Now we see here. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of our hope of our salvation, based in? Traditions of men, church tradition, all this stuff, or in what else? We see, for our gospel came not unto you in word only. Okay, so it is in, in word. It's based in the word of God, not dreams and visions and opinions and feelings and all the rest of it. But in the word of God. But as we see, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. But So we see that the Spirit of God has to give you the understanding of how to understand it, how to see it, how to read it, how to believe it, how to hold it, how to follow it. So the gospel came in word based upon the power of the Holy Ghost. Okay. The gospel is founded in, based in, resides in, lives in, word and power of the Holy Ghost. For those who aren't following, sola scriptura. Okay, if you're counting, that's two. All right, so for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. And also, what else? What else? We saw one, we saw two, now here's three. The gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in <laughs> Three, much assurance, much assurance that ye may know that ye have eternal life. So the Thessalonians, the church of Thessalonians, were experts, <laughs> specialists, experts, emphatic disciples of once saved, always saved. Where'd it go? Oh, I lost my microphone. Okay, pretend I dropped it. That's three. So they were specialists, founders and disciples of, followers of, sola scriptura, and once saved, always saved. <laughs> there you go. 
There you go. Much assurance. Because how, how can you say that you have assurance of your salvation if your salvation is based upon your works, righteous works, law-keeping, or self-atonement, or any other thing? If you could lose your salvation, have it taken away, or be recanted, that it could be lost or taken away or whatever, then that means it's by works that you have to maintain to keep self-atonement and all the rest of it earned a game. You cannot say, you categorically cannot say that you know for sure you're born again and saved. But the Bible says again and again and again that ye may know full assurance. Full assurance. Not some assurance. Full assurance. Full assurance. First Thessalonians chapter 1 is all about sola scriptura and once saved, always saved. That's what it's about. I love the Thessalonians. Oh man, I would love to be able to go back there and just sit with them, fellowship with them, preach with them, work with them. Oh man, could you imagine? Look at this. Much assurance. Much assurance. Now what is this much? We just said earlier, full assurance of hope. That ye may know. That's a lot. That's much. <laughs> much assurance. As ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us. You saw this, O Thessalonians. You saw this in us. And Paul, Savanus, and Timotheus. You saw this in us as we came and we preached this to you and showed this to you. You believed it. You held it. And now, now you followed this. And you took this charge upon yourselves. And you became diligent in this. This is what you're known for. This is what you're known for. And you became followers of us and of the Lord. You followed the gospel that we preached unto you. Galatians 1, 8 to 9. But though we are an angel, preach any other gospel. So we see, we came and we preached this gospel unto you. You followed this as we told you. And you and you took this, not just followed us, but you followed the Lord. You followed the Lord. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. They received much affliction for this. Great persecutions, great hate by others, other belief systems and the Judaizers and all the rest of the pagans and the heathens persecuted them, hated them, and brought them under much tribulation, much affliction. But they were diligent, they were faithful, they were faithful to him who called them, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Imitators of Christ, there you go, amen, there you got it. So that now how how much how much did they take this charge upon themselves how diligent were they in this how well were they known for this look at this let's look at verse 6 again first Thessalonians 1 6 and ye became followers of us and of the Lord having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia you became so diligent that your fame of discipleship, of fervency of the gospel of Jesus Christ became so, uh, so, so well known that it went abroad that all Macedonia and all Achaia, all the Christians in those areas heard about you and look up to you as inspiration. 1 Peter 3.15 they sanctified the Lord God in their hearts so fervently 
that all the other saints in all the regions round about looked up to them as examples. Uh, here's a question. Are you a living example? Are you like those here? Are you diligent to do the works of Christ? To carry out the gospel, living the gospel, living the gospel, not just believing it, not just studying it, not just saying it, but living it, that you live the gospel in everything that you do. It's all about the gospel and everything that you do. Anything that would that would oppose, contradict, fight against, you have nothing to do with. But to preach to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not law, not, not man's traditions and religiosity and churchianity. But the gospel of Jesus Christ. The traditions of God. God's church traditions. Which is salvation. Salvation. And you became followers of us and of the Lord. Having received the word in much affliction. With joy of the Holy Ghost. Rejoice in tribulation. Rejoice in tribulation. That when they were persecuted and hated upon and, and torn down, they just rejoiced. Because they counted themselves worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. Like, like Paul and, and was it Silas? I always get mixed up. Paul and Silas uh, chained up in the dungeon. And they're putting the stocks in the deepest cell in the prison there. And what they do? Whined and complained? Nope. They just started singing the hymns, praising Christ in prayer and praise and worship of the Lord. And, and while they're chained up, I'll, I would bet you my last bottom dollar. I would bet you absolutely every single thing I own. That Paul, Paul, Paul and Silas says they're, they're chained up, arrested in the stocks, in the cell, the deepest part of the prison, that they were still calling out the gospel to all the other prisoners in the other cells. They were still preaching the gospel to them. Nothing would stop them. Nothing would stop them. Nothing should stop us. It doesn't matter who or what the enemy is. It doesn't matter who or what the, the opposition is. It doesn't matter if it's, the, if it's the government, king, emperor, president, prime minister. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Caesar himself. I don't care if it's Satan himself and all the powers of hell can't stop us, shouldn't stop us, should not silence us from proclaiming the gospel and carrying out the works of Jesus Christ. How dare anything that's out there tell us that we can't gather together, worship the Lord, and proclaim the gospel, study the scriptures, sing the hymns, and carry out the faith as we have been commanded by Almighty God. But you got a little bit of a story for you on that one. I asked my brother for permission on this if I could tell you, and uh, but I can't go into de certain details and names and things, but a couple years ago, during the severity of all the lockdowns and all this. Here in Canada, you must realize and understand, we have no rights. You see, Canada does not have a constitution of rights like the United States does. You see, we're under the crown, the royal crown, the British Empire. So... Unlike the United States, which is independent and has their own constitution of rights and freedoms, Canadians have the rights of the crown. The freedoms of the crown. 
that whatever the crown says, that's our rights and freedoms. So the crown can literally change, alter, modify, omit, get rid of any of these things as they see fit as, at their whim. That's how that works. Canada has no rights or freedoms. We do not have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of gathering, freedom of anything. We have the freedoms of the crown, whatever the crown says. So during the lockdowns, the crown removed much of our rights and freedoms, especially freedom of religion, freedom of gathering, freedom of worship, freedom of speech, freedom of all kinds of things. And during the lockdowns, what they, what the crown actually removed was freedom of gathering. We weren't allowed to gather together for any religious reasons. So the so the crown actually issued out a dictation to the police and enforcements of, of this to arrest Christians that were gathering for church. To arrest pastors in the middle of preaching services. To literally chain, use actual chains and chain up churches that people were gathering in to literally put up fences around church buildings. My, my brother uh, actually met this and was go went to church illegally. Was, go was illegally attending church, illegally going to church with other Christians. And the police showed up. My brother went out to speak to them and subsequently got charged with uh, uh, interfering with uh, officers and all this because they were trying to arrest the Christians. They sent other police down the roads. So the Christians that were leaving the church would get pulled over down the road and arrested and charged for going to church. My brother was one that actually got this. And, and uh, to make a long story short, the court, the, the, the court actually cited my brother with this and and said, said that all the other charges that they were bringing against him they would drop all of the other charges if my brother would confess to being guilty of going to church that's a quote my brother my older brother is actually on record under Canadian law of the Royal Crown Court, my older brother is actually on record of being charged guilty of going to church. Yep. And uh, when my brother heard that, that they would drop all the charges if he pled guilty to this, he was like, Sure. Can I get that framed so I can hang it on my wall? Guilty of going to church. <laughs> I'm jealous. That's hilarious. And that that's how far it's gone. I say hilarious because just the hilarity of the stupidity of it. It's absolutely just unbelievable. Because no other preacher of any other religion got arrested. No mosques were chained up. No imams were arrested. No Buddhists were arrested. Only those that professed the gospel of Jesus Christ were persecuted, hated upon, and afflicted. Only. Only. This, this here we see. Receive the word in much affliction. In much affliction. 
to stand for the Lord regardless of the opposition. And here in Canada, they made it law that you were not allowed to go to church. You were not allowed to sing the hymns, the gospel hymns out loud. You were not allowed to read the Bible out loud. You were not allowed to take communion. You were not allowed to tithe. You were not allowed to hand out gospel tracts. Every single thing that the that the word of God said for us to do, that the, the governments are saying you're not allowed to do. But what is the example that was left to us of the Thessalonians? We ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. We obey the traditions, the ordinances, the mandates, the law, the commandments, the rules of the living God, not of men. But the Bible says they're supposed to obey all the laws of the land. It says they are not uh, a terror to good works. That those set up by God are not a terror to good works. That when they become a terror to good works, you do not obey that. When, when the laws of the land contradict the law of God, you do not obey the laws of the land. When the rules of men, the rules of society, and the rules of the governments contradict the word of God, we do not obey that. We obey what God says. We don't obey man. We have the fear of God, not the fear of men. This is the example that was left by the Thessalonians to all the Christians in Macedonia and Achaia, and which is written in the word of God as now an example unto us. That it does not matter what society and the world does and says. It doesn't matter if they chain up the building. Meat in the field. Meat in the cornfield. Go out to an island somewhere. Go out to the wilderness somewhere. Go to someone else's house. You keep gathering together. You keep studying the word of God. You keep preaching the gospel. You keep handing out the tracts. You keep singing out the hymns. You keep helping each other and, and, and holding the faith diligently as it was given to you. The same faith that the early church held, the same faith that we have. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, joyfully, joyfully in praise of God, taking upon ourselves the suffering of the enemy. Whatever they pour upon us, laugh. Because the Lord is victorious. He has conquered all things. He, he has made us to be more than conquerors. Because no matter what they say, no matter how the heathens rage and the people imagine a vain thing and the kings of the earth gather themselves together against the Lord and against the Lord's anointed, they cannot shut down the faith of Jesus Christ. Though they could shut down the building, they can take away the robes, they can they can smash the stained glass, they can steal all the treasure of the building, but they can't take our faith and that's what it's all about. Amen? Amen. This is what the Thessalonians are all about. This is what we hold to. This is our tradition. This is what we hold. This, the faith, the faith, the believing trust of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Verse 8, for from you, O Thessalonians, sounded out. That means echoed. It echoed through all the land. It echoed everywhere. It went everywhere. It, they called it out. They cried out the gospel. They worked out the gospel so powerfully, so loudly. It sounded out. It echoed. 
For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God where it is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. You make our job easy, Paul says. You made our job so easy because you worked so powerfully in the gospel. It went out absolutely everywhere. You wound up getting ahead of us. You wound up doing our job for us. <laughs> Is this not how we are supposed to be? Is this not how we are supposed to be? How we are supposed to sound. How we are supposed to work. That it does not matter. If the police come to the door, fine. Take me away. I'll preach the inmates. Put me in isolation. I'll preach the guards. Take the guards away. I'll preach to the angels because they all want to hear it. You can't stop me. That we don't fight physically because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That the Lord says that we are not to fight physically, but to fight spiritually. We stand firm in the faith, unwavering, unmovable, always abounding in the word of God. With our speech salted with grace that we may know how to answer every man. That they can't stop us. They can't silence us. They can't shut us down. They can't shut us up. And we're going to continue to preach, continue to work, and continue to sow the, sow the seed of the gospel, spread revival. And there's nothing that hell can do against this. There's nothing that this sinful world can do against this. And the Lord shouts amen, and the angels shout amen, and Jesus Christ smiles at our side and says, That's my saints. As the Lord worked, as the Lord spoke, as the Lord preached to all the opposition that he, he, he wound up meeting, is the same example that we follow. They couldn't stop the disciples. They couldn't stop the apostles. Why would they stop you? For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. We didn't have to tell anybody much, because you've already done the work. You're that faithful. You're that diligent. You end up taking upon yourself even more and more and more uh, uh, responsibilities. Because the Lord finds them faithful and gives them that much more to do. They show themselves faithful to the Lord. Not faithful to men, but the Lord. They're faithful to the Lord. They're faithful to the Lord. Not man's traditions. God's traditions they're faithful to. They couldn't care less about the robes and the flea collars and the stained glass and the buildings. They care about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't care about the ideas and the opinions and the catechism and the creeds and the commentaries of man. They care about the word of God. Verse 9. For they themselves, for they themselves, the Thessalonians, they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. So sorry, no, no, that means they, about the other, these other churches of these other lands, these other people that when we come into these other areas to tell them the gospel, they wind up telling us all about you, O Thessalonians. Your fame of faithfulness to the Lord is spread abroad. That everywhere we go, we wind up hearing about you. Everywhere we go, we wind up hearing about you, about your faithfulness, about what the things you suffered and the things the world pours upon you and how you just keep going. 
that nothing can stop you. But they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. How you were pagans. You were idol-worshipping heathens and pagans. You served and worshipped demons. And now you worship the only true God, the Savior of all men, the Lord Jesus Christ. And how powerfully you turned, and how powerfully and fervently and diligently you hold to the faith, they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. What does that mean? That how powerfully that we came to you, the gospel that we presented to you, what this gospel did to you. This is the power of the gospel. This is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. In word, in power, in the Holy Ghost. In verse 5, I see it. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. Because you can't be shook. <laughs> oh, Thessalonians, you can't be shook. Your faith can't shake. Your faith uh, can't waver. Your faith won't quake. That there's nothing that, that can be brought upon you that can make you doubt your salvation. That there's nothing that this world could pour upon you to make you doubt your salvation, to make you shake in faith. You are not double-minded. You are not wavering in faith. You can't be shook. You can't be triggered. You, you can't be shook. What manner of entering in? The power of the Holy Ghost that came upon you, that when we preach the gospel, that the level of power that came upon you, this is what testifies of you how you how you turn to god from idols to serve the living and true god and to wait for his son from heaven the patience as we talked about the patience of hope the patience of hope, and how patiently you wait and how fervently you're devoted and, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The sheer absolute joy that came out of the Thessalonians when they saw and understood how God so completely saved them. How he holds nothing against them. That all of their demon worship and idol worship and, um, and paganism was completely and utterly wiped away, washed away, washed clean. And how they stood innocent, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ before the Lord. And, and they saw this, understood the level of this, the depth of the riches of the knowledge and the wisdom of God, of the grace of the riches of, the, the riches of his grace of Jesus Christ, that they took this to the uttermost. This goes out into all the land. This is Thessalonians chapter 1. Amen. Oh man, if that doesn't get you worked up, if that it doesn't get you shouting amen, if that doesn't get you stoked, I don't know what will. If hearing this and seeing this, if you if you're not worked up about this, then there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. 
You need to get before the Lord. You need to start praising the Lord. You need to thank the Lord for his salvation. And you need to take the faith seriously. You need to become diligent diligent uh, in the faith like the Thessalonians here. Now we see one more thing I want to add to this. Talking about the Thessalonians and how powerful the Thessalonians were. How faithful and devoted the Thessalonians were. And how uh, Paul praised them. But as we see... In Acts chapter 17, verse 10. And the brethren uh, immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, to the Bereans, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These, the Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. The Bereans were even more noble, more powerful, more devoted more faithful higher praised than the thessalonians how how were they and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so because they were even more devoted to the word of God than even the Thessalonians were. So we see. Yes, fervency, diligence in the work and Christ likeness and preaching and teaching all these things in the faithfulness to the Lord and all of this and to the, the traditions of God, according to the word of God, is great. But there also needs to be one more thing. Study of the word of God. You want to be complete? Be like the Thessalonians and couple to that the diligence of the study, the due diligence of the studying of the Word of God like the Bereans. There you go. Now we're done. No, God's people said amen. So there you go. So if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights on that, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. So what can we take away from this? We see the example, as it says, you were examples to all the region roundabout and everywhere that heard about you. You were an inspiration, an example to them of how to hold the faith. That's also meant for us. That the Lord had that recorded down in the word of god and held on to all generations specifically for this generation here so that you could see this you could hear this as god is talking to you yes paul wrote this to the thessalonians for back then but this is also for direct immediate application for us here now the lord is calling for us all to be diligent Diligent like the Thessalonians, diligent like the Bereans, and we have no excuse. What excuse could you possibly give to God that could excuse you from this? Think about that. So there you go. That's what it's about. It's not about religiosity. It's not about churchianity. It's not about law-keeping. It's not about works barren, even so to say, but rather we see the, the works that we bear are the works of Christ, of the gospel. 
We follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, preaching as he preached, working as he, he worked, following, uh, following his footsteps, his guidance. The sheep follow the shepherd. He left us the, the traditions of the word of God, of what the scriptures say. Strip everything else out. It's not necessary. It, it's, it doesn't mean anything. It is unneeded, unnecessary. No one cares about that. We see what we're supposed to care about is what the word of God flat out says. And about what, the, what has been given to us as the charge that we're to carry. The message of reconciliation. For unto us is given the message of reconciliation. That's what we're to carry. The cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, so there we go. So that's the message for today. So uh, as you see, we're starting a new study. And we're going to be working our way through Thessalonians and Timothy. So I hope um, this is a help and a comfort and encouragement to you. So this is First Thessalonians chapter 1. And there's just so much in there. And there's so much more to unpack. But this is what is needful here. So I hope that this has been a help and a blessing and a comfort and encouragement to you. I hope that... Uh, You'll take these things to heart and you'll pass this on. So please, if this has uh, truly been a blessed blessing to you, would you give this a like as a thumbs up and uh, make sure you subscribe, hit the notification bell icon. So you know when we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons of other goodies and content out there. So I hope that uh, you share this, this around as well to, to uh, stoke the fire and other saints around you. So we need to spread the revival, spread the hope of the calling of Jesus Christ, uh, spread the hope of the blessing of this, and uh, get busy. Get busy. Take upon yourself the charge and the diligence, as we've been told. And, uh, yeah. So there you go. So with that, wrapped it up there. So thank you so much for joining in. God bless you folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love His Holy Word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.